Welcome to the Cyber 24 Podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. My name is Marty Carpenter of 24-9. I work in strategic communication, government affairs, public affairs, and I'm joined today by our cybersecurity expert, Mike Hussey from the Utah Division of Technology Services. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show today, Marty. It's always a, a fun time for me, and I consider myself a friend of the pod. A friend of the pod, and it's always good to have you share your expertise because, uh, you know, I think so many people benefit from your experience, not just because they live in the state where you've been doing a great job, but also uh, because you get to share a little bit of your insight on some topics. And Mike, I think you're going to love this particular topic, having served as the uh, chief information officer for the state and having worked closely with the chief information security officer for the state, not to mention people who hold those positions in a number of businesses uh, across the country. But according to the Wall Street Journal, demand and for experienced cyber executives like yourself has pushed the average salary for chief information security officers to new heights. Now, this is, again, according to the Wall Street Journal, CISOs in the United States, median salary, $509,000. That's up from four seventy three in 2020. So in one year, you know, a $25,000 jump in the compensation there. And that's according to a survey of 354 CISOs. So it's not a small sample size. It's a relatively large size to see where they've ju- jumped. Total compensation, including, you know, equity grants, bonuses, things like that that can go into these positions up to $936,000, up from 784000 just a year ago. So I guess I start with this question. Mike, what the heck are you doing hanging out with me on this podcast? <laughs> I mean, so, uh, did you just take your helicopter in to, to join us for the show or what's yeah, going on? Yeah, I, I just flew in. <laughs> yeah, Marty, it, it, these comp packages, I've been really appreciating the, the increase for me, but... No, I'm just, not seeing that yet. So, just before we started the show, just outside of the shot, there are two people, you know, just fanning Mike, and there was a bowl of grapes yeah. being fed to him. It's it's a pretty yeah. great life, I can tell you. Um, oh I, my. I, I guess um, it, this. I, I look at these numbers and say, well, okay, they're they're sort of eye opening numbers, um, but I think it all drives to the general idea of the demand for cybersecurity talent, and. As more and more businesses are hit with ransomware or have, uh, you know, privacy data compromises where they're dealing with regulators, where they're dealing with various issues, it seems to me that the more that's in the media, the more people hear that, the more it gets pushed to the forefront, uh, the more businesses and boards are going to say, this is an area where we need to invest. And it, it would seem to me that knowing that there's generally sort of a shortage of talent, that 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 is even more the case for the most experienced talent. And so if you're running a big business and you're looking for someone who doesn't just know cybersecurity, but has 15, 20 years, that's got to be a relatively small roster compared to the demand that suddenly is there. And we're just dealing with a supply and demand issue. Do you think I'm, I'm thinking about that the right way? You, you've nailed it, Marty. And, and this is a, a, a problem we've seen for years. And it's not quite getting better yet. And, you know, maybe with the, with this pod getting the information out there that, hey, this is what, what you could be making in the industry, that maybe more people will gravitate towards this industry, I hope. But, uh, our talent pipeline is still just a trickle it, and it's not, it should be flooding right now. And so, uh, this, this, this is exciting that, that, Hey, the companies are starting to realize that this is really where they need to make an investment. 
And I think that you might see some of this gravitation towards this new field because uh, we saw it at the state. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, a very talented individual working for us, um, not going to the private sector, still going to the public sector, going to the feds, uh, actually for the NSA. He got a job in Hawaii, doubled his salary, and is enjoying the good life. And you can't you can't compete with things like that. So the state also needs to respond to hang on to its its very valuable folks and trying to find a way to say, hey, let's let's continue to grow your, your expertise. Let's continue to grow you. I feel like maybe sometimes we're a, a garden and nursery here at the state where we're going to give people the, the right expertise that they need if they can come in with the right amount, then we can grow them into something else and, and have them really have uh, some very valuable marketable skills when, they, when they've when they been working here at the state for some time. Yeah, there has to be sort of a trickle-down effect to this, right? If the C-suite numbers are that high, then the the vice president, SVP level, the getting down in directors and so on, that all right. that is going to still have a high demand. Maybe at the very entry levels, if people start to see that money, that you suddenly get a flood of entry level. And so maybe the money, it, you don't, you don't get those elevated numbers quite at that level. Um, but certainly, you know, it's going to have an effect uh, uh, all the way down. And I think you make an interesting point because, uh, you know, government essentially has to compete for talent against the private sector. And so you have to be competitive enough. And, uh, you know, you, you said sort of like a nursery, like you bring in talent, they get some experience yeah. and then they move on and, and work in the private sector, which is, you know, right. that's fine. That's sort of how that is, is supposed to work in a lot of ways, but it does sort of leave state government, local governments, fighting for talent with with uh, you know organizations that may have greater resources right and and that, and that's really uh it's it's unfortunate that we have to compete but you look at um kind of our our IT talent across the board it's not just the 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 cyber security experts it's really across the board uh we're below market by quite a bit and unfortunately uh we've been trying to deal with that for some time and for whatever reason a, a pandemic or other reasons our resources continue to be challenged here at the state and uh, we need to really find an opportunity to step up and, and uh, really hang on to some of these very talented individuals. Mm -hmm. Speaking broadly, though, not just within state government, but just uh, the field in general, uh, you know, I think there's a certain, uh, what would you say, sexiness to the idea of like, oh, I want to go into tech and I'm going to work for Google, Facebook, Apple, right? Those are like the, the, the holy grail, so to speak, like the Ivy League companies that, that a lot of uh, talented people want to go work to. But not everyone's going to end up working for those companies. Um, and so... <sighs> There, there are other jobs, obviously, where you can go do similar things, you know, not be at Google, but you're still still coding in some case or whatever, whatever you want to kind of imagine as that job. But knowing that there's so much demand in cybersecurity and, you know, if there's not sort of a, a massive movement for people are suddenly going to go get into cybersecurity, if I'm talented in this way and I am not, but if I'm talented in this way and I'm, you know, I'm in college thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go into tech and I'm going to learn how to code and I'm going to do all these things. Well, I would look at those numbers and say, is my path to becoming a CISO 
shorter than my path to becoming, you know, the, the, the C-suite guy at any of these other companies and looking at those dollars, well, I could be really in demand in a really high paying field. So why is it so hard to get people to go into this field? I want to pause right now and go tell my kid to start taking the cybersecurity <laughs> class. You know, and, and maybe I, I think that sometimes people feel like it's, it's too intimidating. You're right. There, there's a lot of appeal to going to Google and, and these large companies that have all these great benefits and, and they're, it, it's like the ultimate ultimate culture to work in. Um, and so why, why aren't people, more people there? I'm not sure, but my guess is that we, you sometimes feel like you have to know everything about IT to jump into the cybersecurity field. And that's not quite the case. I mean, if sometimes they're just looking for log correlation, hey, just we need somebody to take all these logs and correlate them to these logs, and we need to figure out what the bad guys are doing here. That's a very specific thing. And I think a lot of people could do it. And it's not this intimidating, hey, these bad guys are coming at us from every angle. How do we shore up our defenses everywhere? You don't need to know everything about IT. You can find very little niche areas to be in and then work around to what's next. And so having maybe a little bit of background in desktop or having a little bit of background in data analytics or having a little bit of background on artificial intelligence and how to apply that to um, your cybersecurity issues, I think you can find a great application of, of your skill set without knowing everything. And I think as more and more people realize that, they'll go, hey, this isn't as bad as I thought. It's not as an, an intimidating field as I thought it might be. But it, this is really something where I can offer and contribute to um, the, 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 the landscape. Um, then all of a sudden, I think people might jump in a little more. But I, uh, certainly, like you just said, it's very rewarding. There's a lot of opportunity to make some real money. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of threats out there. I think it's, uh, I hate to use the term, but it's a target rich environment for people to come in and bring their skill set to leverage in a way that can then improve the cybersecurity posture of states and of private sector folks. Uh, I think it's a great field right now. And actually, I saw that Weber State is doing some things. They're offering um, uh, a certificate. And even a cyber program, Utah Valley University is doing some things there. They have a cybersecurity center of excellence. I think higher ed right now is, is noticing this and they're starting to create programs internally that say, Hey, jump in here, guys. The water's great. Uh, you'll love it. Um, come on in and that pipeline needs to grow. And those people will be guaranteed high paying salary, uh, uh, very lucrative positions down the road. Uh, this is a good time to get in. And it's not necessarily even something that you have to decide when you're, you know, in college at normal college age, right? A traditional student age. If you have, uh, if, if you're in tech, I would say, you know, and you're kind of working your way through your career, you might look at this and see, wow, there is a really interesting path that I can hit an accelerator on if I go, it just sort of shift my focus. So do you think we'll see as, I mean, when you, if word sort of starts to spread that there's not only demand, but with demand comes higher salaries and so on, that you'll see some IT talent shifting over it. And how realistic is that to make that shift? Yeah, no, very spot on. You know, I, I can think of a person that moved within our own organization. She had very good network skills and we moved her into the cybersecurity team and brought some of those networking skills into that team. And she's been awesome and she's, she's killing it. And I think, you know, 
paid a little more than what she was doing before. And so, yeah, as people start to see that, yeah, if I have a skill that I can bring in, like I said, I, I said desktop and now network, but if you have a skill set that you can bring to the table, we will find a way to utilize it and to expand your knowledge into the cyber front and take that into the next level and say, hey, this is what the bad guys are doing in that space. Let's kind of start getting you the information you need and the training you need so that you can start figuring out ways to keep the bad guys at bay. Mm-hmm. Um, you have extensive cybersecurity uh, experience and uh, an impressive resume and background in this. What advice would you have for someone who is maybe you know a junior or senior in high school and has some interest in computer science? What advice would you give them as it relates to cybersecurity? You know, I, I, I think I can't say enough about how fun it is to, you know, you talked about being, uh, how fun it would be to work for a Google or something like that. This is a very fun field there. You, you'll see the bad guys, you know, there, there is some Hollywood esque kind of moments there when you're, you're trying to dive into something that's really, uh, really important. And you see the bad guys starting to do something and you're kind of doing the other thing to counter that. Uh, this is a fun, rewarding field. It's always challenging. It's always moving. It's not stagnant. So if you like um, a, a new career every day, almost, uh, it's a fun field. And and so, yeah, if you're considering uh, a field in IT, cybersecurity would really be, uh, I think, fun, rewarding. Uh, you, if, if you saw... Marty, we have to go to our cyber center in the new um, TSOP building. It really looks like uh, a very Hollywood moment when you walk in there. We've done some great things to get those resources in front of the people that are in uh, our cybersecurity field. Uh, you walk in there and you go, wow, the state is serious about this, but it's also a really fun environment to be in. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always moving. You, you're, what you, the job you did yesterday is not the job you'll do tomorrow. So if you like that kind of rewarding, exciting field, this is a good place to land. Yeah. I think uh, to answer my same question, I would just show them the Wall Street Journal article that we referenced at the beginning. <laughs> That's how I would encourage them to get into <laughs> that cybersecurity. That would be easy too. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you know what uh, what you're maybe making when you're in college, uh, you know, working a part-time job, delivering pizzas, whatever. But take a look at these numbers and I'll bet you get uh, interested pretty quickly. So, yeah. uh, all right. Yeah. Time to take a break. But first reminder, uh, Cyber24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right from ironclad security to computing and beyond. Valcom's 35 plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at VLCM.com. We are back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. You know, servers are a key component to keeping your business up and running. But when was the last time you stopped to think about the security features on those servers? Hewlett Packard Enterprises has you covered. Introducing the world's most secure standard servers, Gen 10 servers from HPE. Maximize performance, achieve more in the same time, and lock down security features right down to the silicone. Gen 10 security features work at the firmware level, utilizing customized HPE silicon. Each Gen 10 server has a unique individual fingerprint, meaning that your server will not boot unless the firmware matches the print, locking the server end to end. Valcom is ready to help you refresh old outdated server hardware. As a long-standing HPE Platinum partner, they have the skills and the expertise to help you maximize data center efficiency without stretching the budget. Learn more about HPE Gen 10 security protection at vlcmtech.com slash gen 10. That's vlcmtech.com 
slash Gen 10. Allowing your employees to bring their own devices is a lot like allowing them to bring a security time bomb into work. So how do you take the burden of onboarding so many new devices off your IT department without sacrificing security or policy enforcement? Look no further than Aruba ClearPass. ClearPass allows you to safely connect business and personal devices to your network in compliance with your security policies. It also allows you to access devices based on users' roles, device type, and cybersecurity posture. At Valcom, they're all about saving you time while still protecting your privacy. Dismantle your time bombs at vlcmtech.com slash clearpass. That's vlcmtech.com slash clearpass. Welcome back to the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. We continue our discussion with Mike Hussey from the Utah Division of Technology Services. Uh, Mike, uh, we talked about money on one hand in the first segment, and this is uh, money as well, but money uh, that is actually a cost associated with cyber insurance. According to the Wall Street Journal, cyber insurers are increasing uh, what they're having to pay out. And so they are increasing what they're having to charge as well for their policies. Uh, the article from the Wall Street Journal says companies can expect to pay more for cyber insurance and undergo deeper scrutiny of their cybersecurity measures after a flood of ransomware and other attacks in the past year. So, uh, you know, did cyber insurance even exist, Mike, 15 years ago uh, for the state? W- were you around when the state got its first policy? And how much has cyber insurance evolved from then to today? Yeah, you, you know, yes. Uh, well, first answer, no. Cyber insurance did not exist <laughs> did not 15 exist. years ago. Uh, this is this was kind of a new thing, uh, you know, maybe six to eight years ago. Uh, so, and, and states were trying to waffle whether or not to jump into this. You, you didn't have the flood of ransomware attacks that we have today. Um, but now, uh, I think many states are seeing the value of cyber insurance. And yes, and, and as you pointed out, this Wall Street Journal article that, hey, maybe people are going to see their premiums starting to increase. So uh, Utah got its first policy in uh, 2015, uh, which was uh, a few years after a little cyber incident we had at the Department of Health. And we were trying to respond to that uh, incident and what do we do next? And uh one of those things that the state went after was cyber insurance. And so uh, it was it was a good policy. And ever since then, we've continued that policy. And uh, and what we've seen is actually uh, been a decline in our premium. And and uh, I, I think that's for a few reasons. I think uh, our initial spend was somewhere around um, 270000 275000 which included uh, a $10 million coverage, but a million dollar deductible. But now our premiums come down and a lot of it had to do with, I think what the state has done over the last number of years to shore up a cyber posture. And so now that same coverage is about $210,000 a year for our, our, our insurance premium. And, and it's, it's public record, so I feel comfortable talking about it. Um, but uh, so I've seen our, our insurance premium come down partly because of what we've done, but also I think other insurance providers are jumping into this space. Back in the day, there were not that many providers for cyber insurance, and now there's a lot more in that space. But now, like you suggested, um, there's more and more 
payouts or there's more and more exercising of the 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 um, insurance. So maybe that we're going to see that that kind of swing back up. I, I don't know yet, but so far we've seen our premium decline. And uh, I, 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 this this article points out that, yeah, we may see a swing back the other way if they're starting to have to pay out on these ransomware events. Has there been much of a change in what is covered by cyber insurance? I mean, when you first bought it, you said in 2015, following, I think, a 2010 or 2011 incident. Um you know, it was a sort of like, hey, we need cyber insurance. Hey, we'll cover, uh, you know, a, a, an attack. And it's, you know, I would imagine that it might have been relatively straightforward. If you have an incident, we cover it. And I would imagine that in the years that have followed that, maybe they've gotten a little more specific on what they will cover, what they won't cover. We'll cover this much for a ransomware, this much for something else. How much has that evolved in that time? Yeah, and, and they and they have gotten more specific too. Uh, so you're right. Uh, they have said it. They've looked at yeah all the new threats coming at the state. Hey, we'll cover this. We'll cover that. But um, what they've also done is we had an annual meeting with our underwriter to say, hey, what have you done, and what incidents have you had that um, even though you didn't maybe get to your uh, threshold that you might want to exercise your your policy have you had any incidents? And so they're looking at what you've, what you've done, uh, what you've had happen and where you're going. And, and like I said, we do, we, uh, we, we are underwritten by, uh, Lloyd's of London. And so we'd get up early in the morning. We'd have this, this conference call with them and, uh, they would grill us for about an hour. We'd have to submit some, uh, some supporting documentation. We'd go through this interview for a while. Uh, it was usually me and, uh, uh our risk manager and our CISO. Um, and we'd get on this call and they, they'd had some very specific questions about what the state has done. And, uh, so they, they really wanted to interrogate us. They wanted to see, you know, what have you done in this space? And, and then they are also watching the industry saying, Hey, we're seeing this now. What have you done to respond to that? And so, yes, the, the requirements have changed a little bit and what they're, what they're covering has changed slightly. Um, but we're, what we're seeing is it's kind of a, a continually moving target for even some of these providers. Yeah. Uh, the article goes on to say that certain attacks are getting more expensive to manage. Uh, it lists the average ransomware claim as $1.2 million in the first half of the year, up from $450,000 during the same period just a year previous or the year prior to that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, they look at 50,000 claims and they go, these things are essentially twice as expensive if not almost three times as expensive. And so you can imagine that it doesn't take insurance companies a long time to react to that. And, right. you know, but I, I guess, you know, to kind of put a bow on this particular topic, I don't see any end to the need for cyber insurance for organizations. And to the extent that, you know, insurance companies want to limit their liability and their risk, uh, and want, want to play that role of helping uh, the the entity that they are insuring be better with their uh, their preventative measures. I I think that's you know a win. Like we talked earlier in in this episode and other episodes that you know state government wants to help local government be better at at getting their defenses in place. But to a certain right. extent, like if, if the threat is there from the hackers and the market forces, then everyone feels like they need to go get insurance. And insurance yeah. companies want to pay out fewer of these. If insurance companies start to take on that role of here's how you need, here's what you need to have in place, 
that actually is a really valuable role to play beyond just covering you in the event that you have an incident. But the, the prevention role they play is really important. Yeah. And that's why I think that's why, you know, with this annual interview that we would ha- have with our, our provider, uh, they would, they would ask like, what are we doing in this space? Sometimes you could tell based on their questioning that you say, Hey, we need to start focusing a little more on something in this space. And, uh, and, and so having just sometimes that question answer experience really started to even help you pivot to what you needed to do. And so, yeah, I, I think they don't want to pay out on claims. And so they're, they're asking you questions about what you're doing in that space, which then says, Hey, we need to start, if we want to keep our premium down, this is where we need to focus efforts. And so a lot of times what you invest is certainly comes back on the back end of, um, paying for what you need to. But, uh, but you, you were mentioning too, that, you know, 1.2, I think you said 1.2 million is the average claim from a ransomware incident. Yeah. I think if you looked at States, um, you know, and, any cyber incident, I, I, I mentioned ours that we had back in uh, 2012. If you looked at the cost to the state, it was much more than 1.2 million. Mm-hmm. And so, had we had this policy in place, you know, they have folks that will come in, a, a legal team, um, they have a response team. They're, they bring everybody to the table and say, "All right, let's go after this." You know, we know how to do this. Let's help you uh, get what you need, get the get you the help you need, and so that. Hey, you start to you start to have one more player on your team, and that that's never a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, any other final thoughts that we should include as we talk about uh, cyber insurance? Even with costs going up, I'm going to say that you're probably in the pro cyber insurance category. I'm definitely in the pro cyber insurance category, and like I said, you're starting to see more and more states that haven't warmed up to the idea over the years now saying, Hey, we see the writing on the wall. We need to be in this space and we need to, to start looking at a, a, a cyber insurance policy where we haven't had one one before. And, and, uh, although we haven't had to exercise it, um, we, it, it's very reassuring to know it's there. Um, you know, I, I think we talked in another episode about the national guard being uh, resources that may come to play. Um, if you have that incident, you want to bring in everybody you can, as well as the those folks that are at the disposal of your uh, of your provider. So, yeah, I'm a, a big advocate. I've seen other states exercise their policy, and I've seen the response that they had from the provider. And I thought, wow, that that allows me to sleep at night. Yeah, really interesting insight from someone who's been through this you know, experienced some kind of incident without the insurance, gone through it with the process from very early on, then having the insurance. So thanks so much for uh, lending us that insight. I think that's really valuable to our entire audience. Thanks, Mike. Absolutely. All right. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at VLCM.com. That's VLCM.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah. How do you do it, Mike? Like that? Absolutely. I'll yeah, do it with uh, you. Mike's a Utah. Go Utes. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Utah Attorney General's Office and the Utah Department of public safety. You can follow us on Twitter at cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook as well. Hit us up in either place. Let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode, you can also rate and review the podcast on Apple podcasts. Thanks everyone for being with us and stay safe online.